0: You're listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you guys today. Like Bevan said, my name's Elliot and we are going to uh, wrap up this series that we've titled The Gospel. And the word gospel, it actually comes from a Greek word in the New Testament that means good news. And as we've gone through this series, we've been memorizing a verse. The verse is Romans 6:23. Um, the verse summarizes the three parts of the gospel the bad news, the good news, and the response. So we've got these little cards. These are spread out around the seats. Um, You can grab one of these. Um, They're really helpful in memorizing it. We have this card right behind our sink in our kitchen, so we can look at it. One side has the whole verse. The other side has the first letters of the words. Also, uh, you can get this digitally on your phone. If you want this to be the lock screen on your phone, we've got the same images, just um, scan the QR code. But to get us started this morning, We are going to say this together. Saying it out loud is a helpful tool in um, our ability to remember it. So let's uh, say this out loud. You can read it from your card. You can read it from the screen. I do want to hear your voices. This is a good, solid-sized crowd this morning, so I expect a a good response. So let's go ahead and read this together. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, so far in this series, we've looked at the bad news, the first part that says, for the wages of sin is death, and we looked at the good news, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, and today, we turn our attention to the response, the last two words in the verse that says, our Lord. Now, this statement, these last two words, they're not, they're not simply an acknowledgement of a fact, it's more than that. These are, these are personal words. They are identifying a relationship, a relationship that is the result of a decision. See, the thing that determines if the good news is true of you is if you have entered into a personal relationship with Jesus, if you call him your Lord. When my wife and I got married, um, there was a part of the ceremony where the pastor doing the ceremony clarified the commitment that I was entering into. So as part of the ceremony, he asked me this question. He said, do you, Elliot, take Allison to be your wife, to live together in holy marriage, to love her, comfort her, honor and keep her, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live? And the purpose of this question being part of the ceremony is it clarifies the commitment that I was making. It was an opportunity for me to say, I do. We all know the response to this. The questions asked, do you commit to enter into this? And then we don't just say that in the ceremony, then the real work begins of the rest of our life is living out this commitment. And it's actually really similar when it comes to deciding to follow Jesus. The commitment that's involved in deciding to follow Jesus is similar to the commitment that's made in a marriage. Because because of the nature of the bad news, for the wages of sin is death, because of the nature of that bad news, for the good news to become true of you or me, the commitment that's required is a marriage-level commitment, a till death do us part for the rest of my life type commitment. And because it is that serious of a commitment, this is not something that you just you know, you just kind of back your way into or make a decision on a whim. This is something that you really want to understand what you're deciding if you're going to enter into this type of relationship. So I want to show you a video clip real quick. It's, a, it's an interview that a group of Christians did with Elon Musk. And most of, the, most of the interview, they're just talking about cultural stuff. But then at the end, without any warning or any context, they start to play this really cheesy music, and then they ask Elon Musk if he'll decide to follow Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And they're, they're kind of making light of the decision, so they're trying to be funny. So you've got to get past the cheesy music, and you've got to get past their awkward laughter in the background. But if you listen to his response in this, in this video, I think it's, it's really interesting. He gives a serious response, and I, I think he captures some really common attitudes that we have about what it means to follow Jesus. So let's let's play this clip. I want you guys to check this out. We're
1: wondering if you could do us a quick solid and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior.
0: <laughs> On Real <the> quick. Show.
1: <laughs> um, Personal Lord and Savior. It's a quick part.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> 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 I mean, let's just say, like, I agree with the principles that Jesus advocated. Um, and th- that the you know there's some some there's great wisdom in what in, in the teach- teachings of, of Jesus uh, and I agree with those teachings um, and things like turn the other cheek are, are very important because as opposed to an eye for an eye. Um, an eye for an eye leaves everyone blind so forgiveness you know is important and um, treating people as you would wish to be treated. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Very important. So it's like a 60 70 percent. Yes, as Einstein would say. I believe in the God of Spinoza. Um, so, um, but hey, if um, you know, if, if if Jesus is is uh, saving people, I mean, I. I I wouldn't stand in his way, you know, like, that'll be true. I'll
0: be safe, why not? Sweet, we did it? Yeah. I think he just
1: said
0: yes. We got, <laughs> it. right. we got him. <laughs> it's kind of awkward, isn't it? It's kind of weird, but, it uh, yeah, it's interesting, he's, he's, he makes that comment, you know, I believe in the God of Spinoza, which that is, it's, it's a denial of what the Bible teaches about God, that God is a personal God, it's this belief that God is nature, God is the universe, God is an inanimate force. So he denies what the Bible teaches about God, and then he follows it up with a kind of, kind of an attitude of, you know, if you're walking down the street fair and somebody's handing out free samples of something, you might not be interested in it at all, but it's a free sample. So sure, I mean, I'll, I'll take a free sample. I don't know if I'm ever going to use this, but that's kind of his attitude of like, I mean, I guess if Jesus is saving people, I might as well. And I, I think that's really common. And so what I want to do with our time is I, I want to focus on clarifying if you're going to respond to Jesus, if the good news is going to become true of you, what is it that you're agreeing to? What is the commitment that you're making? And there are three words that we're going to focus on this morning. The words are surrender, <laughs> repent, and believe. And these three words, you could, you could think of them as the sides of a diamond, you know, on a diamond, the different facets of the diamond, each one of them is unique, and each one reflects the light differently, but they all make up the same diamond. And it's the same thing when it comes to these three words. These three words are unique, but when you add them together, they all three describe this decision to follow Jesus. They all three describe the same response, surrender, repent, and believe. And actually, there's a, there's a verse by Jesus there multiple places where you're going to find this, but at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, as he's beginning to call people to follow him, when he starts to publicly say this, he includes these three ideas in his call. This is what he says in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He says, The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So the first part or the first facet of the response to follow Jesus, is to surrender. That's what he's saying when he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. And we all know what a kingdom is. A kingdom is a territory where a king rules. And for you and me, growing up in a democracy, we hear this, the kingdom of God is near, and it kind of goes right over our head. But Jesus' audience, people who grew up in a time when there were kings and kingdoms, if, a, if somebody came and said the kingdom of God is near or an opposing kingdom is on your doorstep, that is wartime language. They all knew that. They knew that, okay, if, if another kingdom comes and draws near to our borders, that means that we're getting ready to enter into war. So Jesus says this, and what they hear is war is on the horizon. And if war is on the horizon, then there's, there's two options. There's you fight or you surrender. And we hear this and it's kind of shocking. It's why would Jesus use kingdom advancing wartime language? And so we've got to ask the question, well, why would Jesus start his call to ministry with a statement as shocking as the kingdom of God is near? A statement that invokes one of two responses, either fight or surrender. And to answer that question, you really need the context of the story of the Bible, the story that starts all the way at the beginning of the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. And what you find if you go back to the beginning and you get the context that leads to Jesus making this statement, is you find at the very beginning, God created the world and everything in it. And God is, he's the creator of the world, he's the owner of the world, but he's also the king of the world. So in this, in this image that I'm showing, the crown represents God. He is the king over everything, all of creation. And at the very beginning, he made the comment that everything was good and perfect. There was no disease, there's no depression, there's no death, there's no despair. None of that was present in his good creation. And he ruled over it. And then what God decided to do as part of his plan is he made humanity. And he gave us a unique position. He made us different from the rest of his creation. Under his ultimate authority, he put us in a position of authority over the rest of creation. And he gave us the privilege and responsibility to work with him to expand and develop and grow what he started. But instead of joining God in this privileged task, what we decided to do is we decided to reject his plan to rebel and start acting like we were in charge. We decided to be the kings and queens of our own kingdoms. And to ignore the fact that God is the creator and the owner over everything. And just because we rebel and we step out from under his authority, or we think we've stepped out from under his authority, just because we're trying really hard to ignore the fact that he's still in charge, it doesn't change reality. It doesn't change the fact that he created this world. He is the king over this world. And so because God is a just God, a God who does what's right, He's not going to allow us to rebel forever, and so that's why Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. This is the bad news part of the story. It's in response to this that Jesus shows up and says, the kingdom of God is near. When I was in high school, I went through a season of rebelling against my parents, and I remember one instance when uh, my dad was getting on me I don't even remember what it was for, but um, he was correcting me for something. And instead of listening to him and learning from him and then choosing to obey, which would have benefited me, um, I, the thought went through my head, I'm bigger than him. And I am, I'm, I am 6'4", my dad's six foot. And so what I did is he's, he's correcting me and we were already pretty close. And I took a step forward and I pushed my chest out and I kind of tilted my my chin up. And with my body language, I communicated to him, you have no right to tell me what to do. Now, at the time, I wouldn't have said I was in rebellion. And if you think about it, that's not surprising because what rebel thinks they're in the wrong? I mean, they don't. I mean, what 17-year-old thinks, oh yeah, I'm in rebellion. I'm making really, really foolish decisions and completely rejecting my parents. No, they think my parents are stupid, and me and my 17-year-old friends, we know better. We're smarter. We know more about how life works. So it really shouldn't surprise us that rebels don't instantly say, yeah, yeah, I'm wrong. But that's what the story that the Bible's telling us. Because of our sin, we are in rebellion against God. So Jesus came and said, the kingdom of God is near. This is an invitation to surrender, to stop fighting, to lay our weapons down, to take the crowns off our heads, and to get in line under the real king, the true king. One of the important things of surrendering is changing authority. When you choose to surrender, you change your allegiance. So if I surrender to God, I'm changing my allegiance from me and my kingdom to him and his kingdom. Instead of being the authority and the one who gets to make the decisions for my life, now I've got to submit my will to him and his authority. This is an important thing to understand if you're going to surrender to Jesus. A few years ago, a friend um, who identified as a Christian I was pretty close with, he, um, he asked me if we could meet up, and he had some questions about some circumstances going on in his life. So we met up, and we were talking through his perspective on things, and I started to have um, some questions for him about kind of his understanding of the decision he made when he decided to follow Jesus. And so the, the question that I asked him is, would you say that Jesus is the authority of your life? Would you describe him as your boss? And he got this shocked look on his face and he started shaking his head and he, he really quickly was like, no, no, I wouldn't say that at all. And sitting across the table from him, it was, that was a sad thing to hear him say, but that was an important realization for him because if he was gonna decide to follow Jesus, a requirement of that decision is to surrender, to make him the authority. And if you're not willing to make Jesus the authority, then you're saying, I'm not willing, I'm not ready to follow Jesus. Jesus is the one who came and said, the kingdom of God is near. It's an invitation to surrender. Something that I have learned about surrendering in my life is there is the initial decision to surrender, and then that decision is followed by almost daily decisions to surrender. Because what I've learned in my life is I did make that initial decision, but then my tendency to be king and to advance my personal kingdom, to put the crown on my head, my tendency to do that easily starts to creep back up. So yeah, I made the the initial decision, but then because of my rebellious, sinful heart, that nature that I have, over and over again, I have to submit my will to God and continually say, God, I surrender to you. I'm not gonna advance my agenda in this situation. I'm gonna surrender to yours. There is the initial decision, and then it's followed by repeated decisions to surrender. But what Jesus calls us to do if we're going to respond to him, he calls us to surrender. The next word that he uses in the verse, he says, the kingdom of God is near. Then he says, repent. This is the next thing in the verse. The word repent means to turn around. It's It's a movement word. It's a word that refers to a change in direction. You are headed in one direction and then you turned and you began to head in a new direction. And the question is, well, what is it that we are repenting of? What's the the direction we were headed in that now we're turning and now we're choosing to head in a new direction? I wanna illustrate this with two paths to kind of explain this choice to repent and what it means. The first path is the path, we'll call it the path of sin. This is the path that we're all on. Because of sin, we're separated from God. And since God is the source of life and we've separated ourselves from him, we are alive right now, but it's like we're living on battery power. Eventually the power supply is going to run out. So we are, we are separated from God because of our sin. And what the path of sin leads to is it leads to death. And when the Bible speaks about death as a consequence of sin, when in Romans 6.23 it says, for the wages of sin is death. It's more than just physical death. It's the reality that our separation from God in this life becomes permanent for all of eternity. And when the Bible talks about eternity without God, it is a very gripping illustration. It's an idea of total isolation, totally alone, tormented, the eternal absence of beauty, joy, fun, pleasure, laughter. There's no love, no satisfaction, no achievement, no success, no peace, and no rest for all of eternity. It is a horrible, horrible picture to imagine being separated from God forever. That is what the path of sin leads to. And the thing that's, that's moving us down this path of sin is our desires. This is what keeps us moving forward. You know, for me, one of the desires I have is to get what I want. I am, I am a selfish person. I want to go first. And so if it comes down to doing what's right, let's say doing what's right is over here, but getting what I want is over here, more often than not, I'm going to choose to get what I want because I, I want my way. Or if it comes to... You know, even the people that I love, the people that I'm close to, if it comes to treating them a certain way or doing what's best for them, if that's an option, but then an an opposite option is to do what I want, well, again, more often than not, I'll find a way to do what I want. I I am a naturally selfish person. And and I'm also an arrogant person. I'm convinced I have this this way that's not unique to me. We all share it. But I have this way of convincing myself that I deserve what I want. So it's not just that I want this thing, but I actually deserve this thing. I'm entitled to this thing. I'm owed this thing that I want. And because of that, because I want it and because I deserve it, what that means is is instead of people being important and people being treated the way that I know I'm supposed to treat them, people can easily become objects and commodities that I use to get what I want. But then if one of those people gets in the way of this thing that I want, that I deserve, well, I'm not necessarily malicious. I didn't start the day planning to hurt another person, but if they get in my way, they've gotta be moved so I can get what I want and what I deserve. This is what's going on inside of my heart. This is actually something that we all share. Desires that we have to to have our way, something that we deserve, and we're willing to hurt other people if they get in our way. These desires keep moving us down this path towards Death towards permanent separation from God. But there's another path. See, on the other path, God came to earth. He took on a body. His name is Jesus. He died on the cross, a substitutionary death, a death where he took all the consequences that we deserve for walking this path of sin. And then he gave us the option to, to turn to him, to repent and start walking this new path. That's what repentance is. It's changing the path that you're on, moving from the path of sin to this new path that the Bible describes of as eternal life. And when you repent, what you do is is you're walking down the path of sin. You've got to come to terms with your sin, realize this is the path that I'm on. This is what I'm headed towards. You got to understand this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done for me. And then say to Jesus, Jesus, I accept your offer of of sin I admit my sin, I accept your offer of forgiveness and now I'm going to turn and I'm going to walk your new path and with the new path is going to come new desires because if you keep living out the desires that you always lived that w- led you down this one path, you're going to keep going down that path. So repentance involves turning to Jesus and then learning to live a new life, learning to apply new desires And that that's a challenge that takes a lot of work. So Paul says this in Acts chapter 26 verse 20 he says, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. This is interesting. He's saying that that the proof of repentance is actions that show up in a person's life over time. So it's not just like it's not a one time in the moment decision, but it indicates progress or continual movement. And it's worth pointing out that the verse doesn't say demonstrate their repentance by their perfection. And that's significant because people that repent are not perfect people. And people that repent don't magically start not struggling with the desire to be greedy or to lust or anything else that leads to sin. Those desires don't suddenly disappear. But now that they've repented and they've turned to God, now there are these new desires, and over time they work on putting those into practice. See, repentance is about progress down this new path. Repentance is not about perfection. So a a question to answer if you're considering making this decision is, what is something in my life that God would ask me to change? And then, am I willing to change it? If it's no, then it could be that you haven't come to terms with your sin. You haven't realized the path that you're on. Or if it's you realize something but you're not willing to change it, then it's, okay, well, you're not ready to repent because repenting is turning from the path you're on and choosing this new path that God has for you. What is something in your life that God would ask you to change, and are you willing to change it? Jesus calls us to repent. So the kingdom of God is near. Repent. The third thing he says is believe the good news. So we surrender, we repent, and then we believe. Belief is taking the facts and the evidence, personalizing it, and then directing your life based on it. It means that you come to the conclusion that this is true and real. This isn't a blind decision. It's not a mindless decision. It's a decision that you come to through a reasoned process, but then you personalize it. You, this becomes real for you, and then you take action. So when it says that Jesus died for sin, instead of it just being some idea out there of, okay, Jesus died for sin, suddenly it becomes Jesus died for me. He died for my sin. Instead of it just being like God loves the world, it's no God loves me. He offers forgiveness to me. He did all of this as a gift for me, for you. When you believe, it becomes personal and real for you. And then that, that impacts how you then choose to live. Because if, if you realize that he did this as a gift for you, he gave his life to save you from the consequences of sin, if that becomes real to you and you personalize that, what you realize is you didn't deserve this, and you didn't earn this. This is a gift. And because it's a gift, that means that you can't lose it and you can't repay it. And there's so much freedom in realizing that and coming to believe that. Because if you, can't, if you can't repay it, and you can't lose it, then what that means is you don't have to spend the rest of your life acting like you're worthy of this gift. And you don't have to spend the rest of your life trying to repay something that you could never repay. Because he did it for you because he loves you. That's what it means to believe it. You come to believe that, that this is true of me and my life, and now that frees me up to live the way God wants me to live, not out of some obligation or not trying to repay some debt or not trying to prove myself, but simply because I'm now free to live the way I was supposed to live. That's what it means to believe it. That's why he says, believe the good news. You, you surrender, you repent, and then this becomes true for you. This is a reality for your life. So what I want to do is, as we wrap up this series, I actually want to invite you, if you've never made this decision, and you're ready to make this decision, I want to invite you to make this decision today, to respond to Jesus's invitation. Jesus is the one who said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So if you have come to the conclusion that the bad news is true of you, the wages of sin is death, if you've come to the conclusion that that's true of you, that your decisions, your desires, and your actions have separated you from God, and the consequences of that is eternal separation, and if you believe the good news that God has made a way for your sin to be forgiven, and for you to be saved, and for you to receive eternal life, that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, If you believe that, then the next thing is to turn to Jesus and say that to him, and say, Jesus, I'm ready for you to be my Lord. I surrender to you, I repent, and I turn to you, and I believe that you are the only one that can save me. So what I'm going to do is um, we're going to pray through Romans 6.23, because often when you When you talk to God, it's tough to know what to say. So we're going to put Romans 6.23 on the screen. You've also got those cards. And I'm just going to go line by line through this verse. I'm going to read a line, and then I'm going to say a few words, just put it in my own words, and then I'm going to pause. And the pause is an opportunity for you in your heart. You could either repeat the words that I've spoken, or you could say it in your own words. But this is an opportunity for you to talk to God and to tell God, that you today wanna follow him. And I realize that there's a lot of you in here today that have already made this decision. So for you, as we do this, this is a chance for you to remember and reaffirm the commitment that you already made, the commitment to surrender, to repent, and to believe. So let's pray this. For the wages of sin is death. God, I admit that I am guilty of sin and my sin has separated me from you. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. God, thank you for providing a way for me to be forgiven and saved. Jesus, today I decide to follow you as my Lord. I surrender, I repent, and I believe you. Amen. If you today, for the first time, prayed that prayer, you have just begun the most exciting journey you will ever go on in life. And God says that in that journey, you are not alone. He says that he, he, as soon as you make that decision, he starts to bring change. And what he promises is he promises to never give up on you. He is never going to stop working the progress of change in your life. He is going to put more work in than you are, which is the most exciting thing. But another way that he's going to help you, not only is he going to help you personally, is he's going to help you through the church. The church is our spiritual family that we move through life with as we go down this path of repentance. So if you made that decision, we want to know about it so we can help you. So Bevan talked about the connection card. There's two different ways. You've got the digital card on your phone. There's also the physical card, this blue little card. If you made that decision today, on that card, either in the prayer request or somewhere, just write, I decided to follow Jesus, and we're going to support you and encourage you in that decision because, like I said, you are not alone. God is helping you in that decision, and he also gives us the church to walk through that with us. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church Podcast.